Hello, and welcome back to another week of the DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hoke here. Um, I would say it's an exciting day because I'm very happy and feel validated on our thought process on Yannick Paul. Great yeah. player. Incredible 18th hole. What a, what a putt to seal it around, I guess I would say the car crashes, the train wrecks that also seem to happen yeah. in the back nine. Yeah. But Yannick pulled it together and, and really finished strong, and, and we've been validated. And the thing that stinks about when a player has a season like that is – their odds are lower than what you want, right? Yeah. And we didn't end up betting him, but man, it was good to see Yannick come through. Whether or not we had we had bet him, uh, big 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 week for him. I think I think when he shot that kind of 64, 62 over the Friday and Saturday, I was a bit like, wow, this like this was we said it right. Like he said, like he could definitely do this. Like he could go and win by like five or six strokes, and he made hard work of it on Sunday in the end. Um, and you know, Marcus Armitage probably should have won, right? But it's. It's just one of those things. Like, I mean, Jason, who's on a great run at the moment on the podcast, obviously Absolutely. put him up. And he did the similar thing with Callum Schinkwin earlier in the season where, like, he was 20 to 1. And I think we probably said the same thing. Like, or I definitely did. Like, I just can't bet Callum Schinkwin at 20 to 1. If he wins, he wins. And, you know, you do have to have a cutoff point. Right? Like you said at the start there, like, because of the season he had, this is going to happen. Um, it was probably last chance saloon before a field. Well, obviously you got this week now, but like last real time where you're going to get any sort of um, chance in beating a weaker field. The prices comes in because of that, and you know you you do you just have to like if you just keep backing people off at the cliff, then um, that's funny with us with the people that we back, right? But like I just I, you do just have to have a cutoff point, and and I don't feel too bad about it. I feel like we tracked the right player for a good period of the season. And, you know, that, that was it. it you know, you, I think you have been vindicated with your Guido Migliotti. I think with um, Oliver Wilson's win, like, you know, we kind of talked about him quite a bit. Waring's been in great form, Yannick Paul um, winning. So, you know, I think, I think we've been on the right players all season long, really. It's just, are we doing it in the right weeks? No, at the moment. Um, but I, I think a lot of the time that's not, Awful. Like Nikolai Hoygaard was excellent on Sunday Tees Green and just could not find a putt. And this happens, especially on DP World Tour Sundays. Oh, 100%. Yep. I mean, it's the biggest roller coaster that you get every week in golf. And um, it's you, you hope you get in the right situation more often than not. And that's not easy to, to do. But yeah, Jason, incredible run for, yeah. for him right now. It's awesome to see. Love Jason. So good for him and good for Yannick. I think that was, you know, just widely celebrated uh, as, as somebody kind of we've all kind of tracked. And this, I guess this week as well, I would view as a, another big opportunity. It's very, I would echo similar um, kind of comments in which we said, you know, it's a big week for people that need to earn their cards. It's also a big week for people that are going to really like change their season as a whole um, and, and get themselves in a good place for the, the races to buy playoffs. Right. So um, not the strongest field that we have at the Portugal Masters, but kind of run in the middle of what we've been seeing. And um, you do have to plug your nose. And maybe we're more um, apt to bet these guys after yeah. missing out. You know, we're, we're going to kind of hold true to who we believe in this week in, in a really straightforward test, I would say, when it comes to the golf course, right? We've seen, uh, you know, Don Pedro uh, for uh, quite some time, right? And, you know, we've seen a, a habitual track record of, bombers and good putters playing well like you know you can bring it back where peters you know being the last winner there you have 
Hoygaard in the mix. You have Biergaard being uh, a winner. You're going to mention another two-time winner. You have Kutsia the year before with Laurie Cantor. Lucas Herbert is in a runner-up finish. You know, it, it, there's just a, a track record here that it's nice because we can really kind of narrow down the pool of who potentially we are going to bet. And if we are going to go outside of that, maybe we find somebody, uh, you know, on a number or a specific run that we like. But any other course thoughts uh, when you look to Portugal Masters? No, I mean, look, I think you covered it. Like, if, if you look at the fact that Nikolai Hoygaard and Lucas Bjergaard were seconds to Thomas Peters last year, Kozia beats Cantor. Stephen Brown, I think, hits it a decent way as well over Brandon Stone. Tom Lewis over Lucas Herbert. Um, you, you suddenly see a, a very clear pattern, right? And I think even Tom Lewis as a two-time winner was probably a decently long hitter at the time, especially in 2011. So um, do you have to have distance up? No, I don't, I don't think you do. I just think it's a, a huge advantage. I think it's one of those weeks where you can just, you can let go off the tee. And, you know, we see it just doesn't get punished. A little bit like, you know, a lot of PJ Tour events, right? So um, I do think it will be beneficial, obviously, to find fairways like it is every other week. But I think you can just get away with it. And I think that will free certainly my first selection up um, based on, on that. Yeah, yep. I, I definitely agree with you. And, and we have kind of a clear one-two. Um, in the odds boards uh, with Robert McIntyre and Jordan Smith teeing it up again. I, I don't think we have anything more to say than with those two golfers. I mean, you have to birdie in bunches um, here for sure. You know, birdie making is it well-deserved front of the class. Uh, Peters did have to withdraw um, with their second child being born um, or going into labor soon. So um, Peters has had that field there, but you know, it's, it's, again, it's a really interesting mix of golfers that you do see, um, kind of continuing to be priced lower and jammed. I mean, Yannick's, you know, 25 now at, at DraftKings Sportsbook. You have Rosner, 22, Victor Perez, 20, Hoygaard, uh, longest he is, is 22. It's it's definitely jamming in some guys that are coming in with more form that, you know, well, it could have been that long ago that we were getting 40s, 50s, uh, 60s, 70s I mean, look, on a lot of these guys, right? Like last week we went with Nikolai Hoygaard because he was 40, 45, 50, right? And to be honest, I don't think the 21 is too bad on him, even though I haven't gone there because he was second last year. I think he played it two years ago as a, you know, maybe even as an amateur then. Um, he's certainly either an amateur just starting out. And yes, he only just made the cut. But like just the fact he, you know, opened with 67, shot 67, 64 over the weekend last year, just what he did last week. He seems like the type that can probably, you know, just brush off what happened on Sunday pretty quickly. He was definitely visibly frustrated on Sunday and, and you know, my God, shouldn't he have been when he couldn't make a putt? But it's, yeah, I think, you know, statistically, he didn't actually stand out great T-screen last week. Like He was actually way down the field, but it felt like he played a lot better than that. And I think just some of the, the shots, like the one that went in the bunker was a lot better than it looks and stuff like that. So I think sometimes when you're following a player and watching them, it's so much different. You know, we are very statistical and, and look at stats a lot but like sometimes you do have to just watch the event and realize that actually Nikolai Hoygaard played pretty well on Sunday <laughs> um, yeah and how big how big of a difference to the green is is your shot on 11 right when he's a foot short of exactly. the green and he's flagged it maybe he's three feet for eagle yeah or he's he's in the bunker right I mean that's probably a stroke over a stroke in, in approach right there yeah. right on, on one hole that if you're not watching or following along with your tweets or, or tracking it like even tracking it, you don't know, right? Like, that that's the eye test on it. So I think Drew uh, Matthews does, does this on, he, he kind of has a, a stat where it kind of takes out the 
isolated like one really bad shot and you know if it's in extremes or what's happened on the field etc then you kind of take that out and it I, I don't pretend to know how he does that or, or anything like that but I think that's a pretty uh unique way of looking at things and I think actually that's something that we can learn which you know it's, it's impossible you can't track 156 players every week and, and realize how well they're playing you don't see all the coverage but if, if you're in I, what I would say is if you are into a player do, do you get the bet 365 shot tracker over there we do. We do. Yeah. I live on that thing. And so, I've been begging Drew to figure out a way if we can get it on the Europe side because there's the data isn't as easy accessible, right? Like yeah. that's if, if we could get the anybody that's listening, you know, a way to, to put 365 inputs into an output of like Excel or something that I could get hands on, slide to the DFs. Would love to discuss because, yeah, I think being able to parse through that data a lot more is like Drew and I, we, we, because I, I mean, I worked with Drew since like 18 or 19 when we kind of started Fantasy yeah. Golf Bag. We had started it, came on board. And one of the data things we did was like, uh, we call it the extended approach data, where you, you put a shot inside of six feet and you see how many, how often golfers are able to put shots inside of six, 12, 18 feet. And and Fantasy National has done that with like opportunities gained. I think they use 15 yeah. feet as, as their stat. But like you have that on the Euro side because even though it's very variable, you could see that Nikolai Hoygaard had you know, six chances inside of 12 feet on Sunday, right? Yeah. And that's the highest percent, even if he might have shanked a, an iron and, <laughs> and threw things off, right? Like that type of uh, statistical analysis is needed to, to really drive things home, in my opinion, on the European side. But I guess Shot Tracker is better than what it used to be. So. Yeah, and I, th- I think you've just got to, I think my sort of word of advice would be if there's a player that not even necessarily you're best, betting on that week, but you have in mind for next week or um, you, you just want to track their progress. Just watch them, you know, on a shot tracker for Sesso Sunday. Just while you're doing other things, just just put their kind of shot by shots in, and you can sort of see how they're playing. Like, it, you know, if you see people going to 12, 15, 16, 17 feet, and and they're not making birdies, and that's fine. Like they're, they're hitting the ball really well, and um, you know, most of the time it does show up in strokes gain approach and, and tee screen. You know, if someone's hitting it well, it it does show up, but uh, round by round can get very tricky. So that's a long way in saying our betting cards are, are starting a little bit deeper down the board. They right? are. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. That's a very long way of saying that we're not quite going to Nikolai Hoygaard, but I can understand why people would. Um, yes. I believe um, I've probably got the shortest prize goal for this week. Yes. Yes. It's going to be your, let's see, what's the best price you get there? I guess there is a 35 to one on DraftKings Sportsbook. Wow. With the... Eddie Pepperell still. So, so I think that's a, a really, really good price. He's only 22 to one over here. So that, that's a yeah. huge difference. And I'm always intrigued as to why there's such a big difference in DraftKings as opposed to... And to, DraftKings is the best in the market by 10 points. 25 to one is the but, other ones out there. So, so it's a really good price. Hit DraftKings, right? Because I think that's a wild price. Like at some point, I mean, this isn't news. We've been talking about this every week, but the last... Eight of his last 10 events, he's been inside the top 10 in strokes gain approach. Six of those times, he's been inside the top three, and twice he's led the field. So there's there's literally no... you can We can talk about Rosners and Jordan Smiths and, and all those types of people. No one is hitting their irons in the near as, as well as Eddie Pepperell. His driver is a problem, and it has been a problem, but this golf course allows him to get away with that to an extent. He's got second, third, and sixth place finishes here in his last four starts at the golf course at Don Pedro. He was a 36-hole leader here in 2018 and finished three shots adrift of Tom Lewis in second. Um, over the past 15 weeks, he's played 10 events and he's made the weekend every time and finished no worse than 32nd. He hasn't 
you know, been in contention since finishing just behind Sean Crocker at the Hero, but he was so good that day. Like, you know, Crocker just wasn't going to get beat, but he was so good, and I took a lot from that. And, I, and whilst I haven't gone back to him because the prices have been too short and there's been other, other players in the field I wanted to bet, like, I think this is really his... Like, if he doesn't take this opportunity this week, I could... I can see it being a long time before Pepper contends again because this feels like it's all shaping up really nicely for him. Yeah, no, I, I mean it would be great to see Eddie Eddie get get over the line and and yeah, I think it's like a validation of his season. I would feel similar to Yannick in regards to the way we track and saw out of uh, you know him for the year. So I can see it rooting for Eddie and this ball striking continued last week. Um, this next player for me is like the epitome of. Uh, standing true in, into like a golfer that I think fits the course very well. He's just historically had, has shown that he's played quite good golf around Don Pedro and he fits that bill. Uh, I think he is, man, he might be pound for pound the best putter on the DP world tour. And I think you got a birdie in bunches here and what really stood out in my research of it overall, and it makes sense with how well he's played, and maybe it makes sense even more why he plays so well on Lynx golf, is is Joaquin Lagerin is is longer than what you give him credit for. Like I mean, yeah. he he led the field in distance on Sunday uh, this past week. Uh, you know, he's out here continuing to be in the positive uh, in distance, almost week in and week out on the field. And even when he's missing cuts, he is he is gaining strokes on the field putting. And not many people are able to do that with the game. So that shows that, you know, approach and around the green probably don't sniff what it, what it needs to be. But the distance factor with the birdies factor in a great, you know, a second coming up, second last time. I guess it, he led the field Sunday because Valderrama was the last time out was when he was yeah. second. And then 23rd at the Open Day España. You know, and, and he did that being positive off the tee and being positive putting. And I think that's the success you got to bring to this week. And he's 40 to one. He's been he's been chopped. Right. Like, I don't know where he opened. We're doing the show on Tuesday, you know, this week. Um, and and this is a definitely shorter price than what you probably talked to Liger and Alfred Dunhill links at triple digits. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's from history perspective. But he's 40s almost everywhere. Um, DraftKings specifically, and and I'm still going in because I think that is the kind of like game you need, and it just fits everything I'm looking from a trend perspective. So he's where I start. He he actually opened up at, at 40 to one over here in most spots. Like he actually went yeah. from 40 to 28 pretty quickly. His places 45 was the biggest number, and it wasn't like the most placed terms you normally get over here. So um, pricing, right? Like probably something where most people are completely put off. And I think I think the thing is with Lagergren is you is you so many people have been burned with him. Like he he'll go and play well at two hundred to one, and you think okay right he's rounding into some form, goes to thirty three forty to one fifty to one, which does happen fairly often with Lagergren, and he just shits a bit. Like there's no yep. two ways of putting it right. And I don't necessarily think that's going to happen this week just because of what you said, like just how suitable the golf course is. But if anything summarizes Lagergren's career today. It's actually his record here at Don Pedro. So he's finished third, 14th, and 17th, and missed three cuts. So makes the weekend. He's he's there, and I think I think that's actually the story of his career. Like if he gets through a cut, he generally either climbs or stays where he was at the start of the week. Um, 
so yeah, I, I really like Lovegood. I think there's there's definitely a lot to like. Even when he missed a cut on debut, he actually opened up the 68 and was inside the top 10 and just shot second round 76. He missed a cut four years, uh, three years later, opened up the 78 and shot a second round 66. And then it was one year before finishing 14th, so 2018, I think it was, where he did actually have a bad two days. But twice then, he's bounced back from, or, or had one good round when missing the cut. So I think to me, Lagrim makes you know perfect sense. I can certainly see him if he goes with a bit of a middling round of 68, 69 on you know Thursday, he might catch fire on Friday. So maybe even someone that you could do in running as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited about him, and and will plug my nose and, and still go in on the price. Um, I'll stay with two golfers here. I'll just kind of knock both out, and again. There's a great thing about doing a show on Tuesday. There's a bad thing about doing a show on Tuesday. And if you're not in before the tipsters, and you're not in before guys that seem popular this week, those prices, prices excuse me, are going to crash. But with good reason. And there's two of them that specifically stand out. And I'm not going to let that, that 80 to 50 movement, even though it is significant. It is absolutely significant. But I'm viewing this field as almost a bet who you want field. And I'm not going into this week without Tapio Pokenin and Gavin Green on my card. And it, it's just simple, right? And it's simple in the fact that their overall arching games are distance and putting. Like, that is what it is. But we have seen both of them get themselves in the mix multiple times. I feel like this year has been such a step up for both of those two golfers where, I mean, you could almost put it on the wall that Gavin Green, even though he would pull like the Keegan, right? He would be first-round leader and then miss the cut. Yeah. He would... He would like be nowhere near in the mix. And he's found himself multiple times this season, right? Like giving himself, I mean, 11th place last week, he had the second at the Czech Masters where he probably should have won. He finally was back positive with the irons last week. Uh, and he lost putting. I mean, he lost putting, I believe, and still finished 11th last week. That's, that's a big thing for Gavin Green. And then Tapio. Tapio did miss the cut at Valderrama. You know, that's that's completely we can throw that out of the water. But you look before that stretch there. He had five events four of those events inside the top 30. That third at the Czech Masters uh, had a great opening to the year as well. I mean, I just think there's if you're coming to us and we're the only show you listen to, you know, it, that is the description on why they're, they're being incredibly bet this yeah. week. Um, you know, Green had a 17th place here last year's tie with actually Tapio. Tapio hasn't missed a cut here before. So it's not an overwhelming amount of course history that goes in it. It's just the profile of the year they've had and the way they've been dominated. Yeah, and I think you look at you look at Gavin Green. I mean, he actually sort of started well last week and, and faded. And that actually lines up brilliantly with his putting. So he gained uh, 0.8 uh, shots on both rounds uh, in terms of putting. Um, 38 from 40th in passing the first two days, which is not great, but it's good enough. Um, and then he's just 67 from 51st on the on the weekend. So, um, you know, he is just that type of guy that if he has middling putting rounds, he can get through, and he just needs to have four of them, right? And I think that as much as course form is is course history, and he's played here twice, he missed the cut once, but you know he's, he's been here twice, and I like that. I like. Hawkenden has actually got better every single time he's played here. So 63rd, yeah. 40th, 36, 17. So it's a really nice trending for me, which sort of suggests that, especially with someone like Hawkenden, because he has to sort of rein in what he does, right? Like he, he's just one of those guys that hits it really far and makes a bunch of putts and birdies, right? And he does have to control that. And I think when you learn the nuances of a golf course that allow you to do that, and you've been there a few times, he could, you know, definitely 
kick on. And I think Ben Coley might tweet out something about um, like some amateurs playing here in the past. Um, that, that or, or not here, maybe at Valderrama or something, that, that they then gone on and played really well to Portugal Masters. Um, so that might be another significant factor as well. I, I would need to reread the tweet to completely remember exactly what it was that he said. Um, here we go. So impossible to place a value on amateur form at the same course he's played in the pro game, but there were 74 players at Villamora for a team event in 2011. Fewer than 25 have made it onto the tour. So 25 of the 74 made it onto the tour. And they've combined to win five of the 11 editions of the Portugal Masters. Yeah. So, so basically, like, and he basically, he helped everyone out and sort of said, if you're working through your own shortlist and this is sort of stuff, here are the names that could be the sixth player to do it. Paul Pnan, Nemeth, Julian Brun, Ricardo Gouvier, Tobias Figueroa, uh, Pedro Figueroa, sorry, Nacho Vera, Dan Heising, Jack Senior, Sebastian Soderberg, David Law, Francesco Laporta and Oliver Farr. So it's a hell of a list. Like, it's a lot of a lot of players, and, and you know that covers a wide range of prices. But interesting, I thought that Paul Kinnam was on there. I thought that was worth relaying. Yeah, no, uh, more, more power to it. Um, I'm going to talk to you as a golfer. I know that you said it's a little bit, uh, I guess, backwards to the thinking of, uh, but the price is quite low, um, and if that down quickly due to um, some some uh, projections, I would say, uh, but. Talk us why you think it could be a Nicholas Norgard Moller week. Yeah, I just think that for me, there's a lot of upside on Nicholas Norgard Moller. And I still, I think we've sort of said this a couple of times, we don't necessarily know what he is yet. And I like the little bit of mystery about him. Like he shot a second round 61 at Kranz not so long ago and finished 29, uh, 29th there. He finished 50th at the Italian Open, but shot a second round 65. He finished seventh at the Dunhill Links, open with a 63. And I actually thought he was quite impressive on the final day until he wasn't, like, right at the very end. And then at the Open de Espana, which I wouldn't necessarily have, have put in his wheelhouse, um, he was inside the top 20 all week. So, really, he's missed cuts at Valderrama. He's missed a cut at the French Open. He's missed a cut at Himmeland, which is a, a little bit of a disappointment. But he opened with a 65 there and then shot a 77. So, I think for me, he's just got that volatility that I like on a golf course like this. I think he's a, he's a huge driver of the golf ball. Everyone sort of says that. He's a bit of a monster. Um, hasn't played the golf course, so we don't actually know what he's going to be like. But sort of mentioned earlier that the kind of list of names that have played well at this golf course, and there was a lot of Danish sort of flair on that. And I don't think you can just say, right, he's Danish and he hits the ball fast, so let's, let's kind of shoehorn him in. But when you look at last year, Lucas Bjerregaard out of nowhere, really, and Nikolai Højgaard was second. Bjerregaard's obviously won the uh, the event before in the past as well. To me, that kind of suggests that he can follow suit. Um, I don't know if he's quite good enough to win, which is why I'm a little bit hesitant whether to back him or not. But I do think he's certainly worth considering, especially for like DraftKings and things like that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Hits it at absolute mile. Um, I'm, I'm thinking here in this range is is where is it three down. So you mentioned Nemex, right? Like I, I'm kind of in the fence on, on where I feel on him this week. I actually thought he was a little bit more of a, a power golfer. Um, it's a little bit lighter than on distance than I, than I love. The ninth and 11th, basically out of nowhere, right? Like he, he didn't, but what I did like is, is if I remember, Ross Alcaimo was, was a similar type of course, right? Where it was very driver heavy, very yeah. birdie, birdie base. 
So I, I'm going to come in here because I want to add one more at our end time that we haven't discussed yet, but it's a really long shot. So I, I'm, I'm going to still go in confidence with, with Memphis, right? Puts it well. When, when he puts it well, I mean, he competes. And I think that's just kind of the name of the game on what he has done. Now, does he love it in Spain? He might. His best three finishes basically of the year are in Spain. Um, but, you know, we've seen him pop in the year. Early on in the year, he was incredible um, with the driver. And so it's just a combination of above average distance and, and really good accuracy. But he can put with the best of them. I think Nemec's price now, let's see where he's still – He's still at 80s. I think 80s is, is very fair to, to not write somebody off like that because it has been a two-week jump. Um, but he's been somebody we've been very keen on in spots like this in the past. Um, so I'm definitely willing to, to stay on, on course there and bet Lucas Nemexer. Yeah, I think he's just someone that you'd probably just take a chance on when he's in the form, right? And if it doesn't, if it doesn't yeah. happen, it doesn't happen. But like you said, he was third there behind Nikolai Hoygaard, behind Jordan Smith, who were the two kind of favorites for this. Interestingly enough, Tapio Paulkinen was seventh that week. Um, Matthew and that Pavon. course was all distance. Yeah. It was like Matthew Pavon, who's one of the favourites, which actually, yeah, Matthew Pavon's really interesting because Brad put him up on the podcast. Yeah. And but when we were sort of going through it, like he's actually one spot directly above Antoine Rosner in a DP World Tour rankings. And I think that's gone overlooked because we always talk about Rosner as like he's this ball striking machine who, when he puts, he's going to win. And we don't really talk too much about Matthew Pavon. And I know that's because he's been kind of priced low compared to the kind of golfer he is. But I think his his season's gone overlooked slightly. So when you look at the fact that he was third here, Nemeth the third at Razor Kaim and Nikolai Hoygaard won, you certainly get a pretty clear picture. So I would definitely go back to looking at that Razor Kaim championship form uh, back in February. I don't know if it's necessarily the same type of course, but I think you get the same sort of players. And, and I think that's a really good point by yourself. So, um I think we've sort of jumped over his price a little bit. I'm going to circle back to Tom Lewis. Um, yes, yeah, I really, yeah. Yeah, he, to me, it's a little bit of the Yannick Paul factor. Like, I don't want to miss out on Tom Lewis's comeback win uh, rather than Yannick Paul's first win. I think this is obviously a comeback for Tom Lewis. And I, like, really and truly, he's probably in the third stage of his career already, Tom Lewis, which is wild considering he's 31 years old. But, like, he came out as an amateur really, really quickly and played well at the Open Championship in 2011, wins the Portugal Masters that year, shooting 21 under and beating Carrera Bello. So that's a huge start to, you know, life on the DP World Tour or then the European Tour. Comes back seven years later, wins it again by three strokes over Lucas Herbert and Eddie Pepperell, which is a really big scalp. When you look back in, you know, that's aged really well, that win. Um, shot a third round, 61, back up a 63 on um, Friday. And that's a really hard thing to do. He... He opened with a 72 that week and went 63, 61, 66. Like that's a, a wild uh, card. And then you go back to the Corn Ferry Tour Championship in 2019, opens 68 and then shoots, you know, three rounds of 66. And, you know, it's it's pretty wild. So I think I think he's just the sort of person that can really, you know, put his foot down. He he won by five strokes on the Challenge Tour in 2018. Like, it, he just motors home when he's on. Is he playing quite to that level? Probably not. But he's, you know, been really encouraging since he came back to DP World Tour. So I mentioned when he, I literally said, I think it was the Czech Masters, I put him straight up because I said I was really pleased by the fact that he was coming back to move to England and rededicate himself to DP World Tour. It's kind of been forced upon him, right? Because it didn't go the way he wanted it to go on the Corn Ferry Tour. Or, you know, effectively the PGA Tour is what he wanted to do. But 13th for the Czech Masters, 12th in Himmerland. Uh, when he was 12th in Himmerland, he was 4th going into the weekend and 6th going into the final day. At the Italian Open, he was third after 36 holes and finished 16th, which is a disappointing drop-off. But 
did he play with Rory McIlroy that weekend? Uh, believe that on that Saturday, right? And that's so, when he like had an awful front nine and a really good back nine. So I think that can throw anybody off, right? Like if you're if you're trying to prove who you are, and I think Tom Lewis is a player that is very confident in his abilities. As a you know, if he was to speak to you, he'd be very cocky and a bit arrogant, but must have some sort of demon somewhere because he doesn't seem to be able to string it together. But even like when he finished 50th in France, he was 12th going into the final round. And 37th last week's not great, but it's definitely a good warm up. And you look here, win, win, eighth. It's, a, it's basically a last chance saloon for Tom Lewis this week because he has to, I don't know if he has to win Sky to get into the into his card, but he'd certainly have to be top two or three. I don't think he could do anything else. So I think really he needs to go in thinking, I need to win. He put up on his Instagram, can I make it three this week? Like he's very bullish. Uh, he normally is. It's amazing to think how far he's gone. Like I think of him and I think of people like Oliver Fisher, who have kind of gone through peaks and troughs in their careers, had big amateur careers and come out and, and had instant success. But like to me, like he, he had that 30th place finish on the Open Championship, finished 10th the following start and then won two starts later. Like, that's a really huge way to capitalise on, on a good performance as an amateur. Right? Like, we talk about, we mentioned like Filippo Celli and stuff like that who were the low amateurs and they don't really, you know, kick on. That that was massive. And yes, it's taken him a little while to, to discover it. But I think if he comes back, dedicates himself to this tour, he can probably win with, you know, a, a decent clip. So, is it St Jude? I think it was the FedEx event where WC FedEx event where he shot that finished second. Yeah, shot sixty-two, sixty-two on the weekend, right? Wild, and and that's just what he does. And you know, third at the Saudi, third in Dubai, third at Dunhill Links. He's he's so good, and I think we're still yet to actually see the full Tom Lewis package. So coming back to a golf course that he loves, I think at fifty to one, he's a great price. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can almost. You, you could say like Peters, like for instance, right? You come up on the European tour, you give it a shot on the PGA tour, you give something that just doesn't work out like you thought it would. You come back and, and after a couple of years of figuring it out, you're back to a world-class player in that sense, right? Like that's the trajectory you'd like to see out of Lewis in that manner. He, he strikes me as someone who just gets distracted like pretty easily. Like I think, he, yeah. I think he gets, he enjoys the lifestyle of being well off and well supported and, I think he's always been I think he's been supported by Nike for a long time where he hasn't probably had to worry about sponsorships and giving up, you know, cars and stuff. He's never really had to struggle and I think that probably surprised him when he did. And now he's got his back against the wall and I think that could be a really good spot for him. Yeah. Absolutely. Um you bought you brought up Chelly. Uh, people might be asking if, if you're going back to Alex Fitzpatrick, both of us. I think there's intrigue there. You know, when I woke up Thursday morning, kids in first place, right? Like I'm like, gosh, this is happening. And then he could have probably couldn't have gone as couldn't have gone worse than what than what it really did. The final like 27 holes, him uh, missing the cut. Um, all eyes still for me there. I think he's super exciting. I think I'm just gonna let it kind of go. Uh, I think he needs for, tougher than than Nick yeah. probably. Um, he's not sure on that short game, right? Yeah, and, and it's interesting because, again, he actually needs to get his status. And this is probably his last shot. I know he's going to get spot starts and stuff, but it's, you never want to be in that position. Like, you want to, you want to, I'm guessing he's going to go to Q School and things like that. But. Yeah, I'm thinking so. Q School is next week, second stage, I believe. Um, yeah, I believe second stage Q School is next week. So I think guys that are a little bit down the list on the race to Dubai 
will get exempt into the second Q school, if not final stage. Yeah. Right. Um, so you might see some of these familiar faces team up in the four Q second stages um, that are that are deeper down the list. But there's definitely some names that that need to to get some status for next year. And I think um, I'll go into. Let's see. I have three left. We we okay. I I got perfect. Okay. So I'll go into I guess my next selection, and this is another one where kind of a gut it's kind of a gut like bat call for me that and the price isn't as good again as what you might think it could potentially be um but i i really think there is something out there in the game right now for mike lorenzo vera and people are, are probably saying where like where where are you seeing anything like this and it was a string of miscuts right we had a 13th of scandinavian mix back in june he made the cut the next week and then he basically put together an awful stretch he's had an awful year right he's cracked inside the top 20 twice um 2021 terrible you know the last time this guy's top five in the event was dubai in december of 20 where he almost won that event uh but I mean, if we think of the Mike Lorenzo Vera of old, the, the guy was uh, one of the best putters we've we've seen, right? Like he was incredible on the greens. You know, you can vividly remember that first round lead, right, uh, at Harding Park that he had. Um, you know, like he just he couldn't win. He was a golfer that he was probably the best golfer on tour on the DP World Tour at the time. He just didn't have a win. Time. Yeah, correct, right? And that's fallen off the map. And you've mentioned this to me a couple of times. He's been very vocal about how he does not stand for live, right, and and thinks it's you know, just no place in the game of golf. And does he have a game to back it up? I think there, there's been life. And I, I mentioned, I think it was at the open day spot, he had two rounds, a closing round, and I think it was the opening round that kind of showed a little bit of form there. But what I loved last week, again, when you kind of sent out some calls in the open day spot, Mallorca, top 20, his best finish in quite some time again here. And we have that with him leading the field tee to green on Sunday. Lorenzo Vera's in that same spot as Lewis, right? Like, what are these guys doing? Like, I mean, does Lorenzo Vera maybe have exemptions from the amount of starts he might have had? I don't know. You know, I'm not fully up to speed on the same way they do that on the tour side. But he's underneath. He's going to be going back to Q school, right? And, and like, you know, you see that at 37 years old, somebody who's been through a lot, uh, he's been vocal about how he blew his money, right? And they came back, like, there's a big life change if he's if he's sitting here, you know, playing challenge tour events or or you know I don't know what, what's next for Lorenzo Vera, but a win or a contention at 150 to one, I could see it, man. I could really see it with the game, the way the game has been rolling for him secretly and, and kind of sneaky uh, overall. So I think 150 is there for me. I would be kicking myself because I think he's just been popping in a, in a in a way most people haven't seen yet. Yeah, I, I think I think so. I think there's a lot to be said there, and 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 my point with the, I mean, th- there's two players that have been really vocal on a DP World Tour about Liv, and one's Eddie Pepperell, and one's Lorenzo yeah. Vera, right? And I think that it can be a distraction to Pepperell, and I would worry that that can impact him because he once he starts getting on Twitter, he gets a bit carried away. Um, and Lorenzo Vera, I think it's actually probably good for him because he he's doing it and improving since he said it, as opposed to being at the top of his game, what to be able to say it and then sort of getting distracted. So I don't think it's necessarily too much of an impact, but I do think it's now time to, you know, dig it out of the dirt and, and get a result. Um, but just, just to, you know, just to quickly circle back to the rankings a little bit, like 
100 and top 117 is the provisional cutoff for the deep world tour membership just yep. jenna watson on has been playing really well he's 116th sebastian garcia rodriguez is in 117th right now darius van drill dropped by one to 118th last week he was in the mix on sunday that third right? place finish and, and it's tough because he could have placed for us and and he and, he, and you know it that's tough then you've got Ricardo Gouvier, who played well last week, who was a couple of shots out of placing. He's probably the third most tip guy this week, right? Yeah. Because you get the home narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, Paratore, Laporta, um, David Horsey, you know, LaCroix. Some of these players aren't actually playing, but, like, these are the people that are around this list. And interestingly enough, when we go into our final pick that we agree on, like, I was actually surprised how high up he was in the rankings because I assumed he would be in a similar spot. Um, but yeah, I, ju- I just think it's interesting, especially with someone like Jenna Watson on, who's been playing really well. Like he's yeah. right on that bubble. Um, so someone like him at eighty to one, uh, Jeff Windsor, I looked at eighty to one, who's not in the kind of danger, obviously, but I do think he's kind of interesting. But those are the kind of names I thought about around this kind of price. Yep, yep, absolutely. Before you go into uh, your last pick, we're on this together. I got one more to follow. I want to make sure give a shout out to any of our audio listeners. You can find us at Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, The Mix, available on Media Network all across um, those different platforms that you can find us via podcasts. And again, YouTube, if you're listening on us, we thank you. Appreciate your support. Like, uh, subscribe to our Mayo Media Network channel. Leave a comment. We just, we just love the support. It goes a really long way for us here at the network, especially as football is kicking like crazy. I know how Pat. Uh, how busy Pat is with everything and all the different niche sports that are going up on uh, the Knicks. So appreciate you guys. And, and with that, Tom, can you explain why we're going to hit 151 winner together? We are, this is this is our favorite type of bet, right? And just to echo what you kind of said, you know, about kind of Pat and the network, right? Like what we do at Mayo Media Network is, is massive. And I say we because I feel like we all feel, a, you know, a small part of what is a really big, you know, process. So, you know, kudos to Pat who kind of pumps out the content and, and leads from the front. Um, Mark Warren, 150 to one is, I remember one of my friends, um, loves betting Mark Warren and he has done for probably 10 years since we kind of left school. And I've always found it a bit bizarre because he's one of those guys that had that little bit of a moniker of he should have won a little bit more, didn't really get the job done, didn't get over the wine. And then he went from that really solid player who was always in the mix and not getting it done to just not being in the mix anymore. Um, so he won in 2006, won in 2007, won in 2014. Then he wins again in 2020, which I think was the first event back after COVID. Was it the Australian uh, yep. Open? July 12th, Australian Open. Yeah. Yep. So he beats Marcel Schneider that week, who's another guy that I thought was interesting for this week. He's also lost in the playoff at Wentworth. He's played in World Cups with uh, Colin Montgomery for Scotland. He's won three times uh, on the Challenge Tour. One of those was the Austrian Open anyway. But you know, he, he's a he's a well-rounded individual and, and he's been there and done everything. He's made plenty of major cuts, two top 15s in the PGA Championship, uh, etc. So got a really good stock. Enough of the past. He's made three straight cuts, which is, you know, which rings bells for me when you see a veteran doing something like that. He ranked inside the top nine in both approach and tease green last weekend. Uh, and I really do just think he's a, a week away with his putter uh, from really contending. I know we say that an awful lot, but when they're 150 to one, I think you can. This event starts in 2007. He's missed one renewal in that time. So he's had a second and a 12th in that time. He was the 36th hole leader when he was 12th. He's got two more top 30s. So whilst he hasn't got a, you know, it's not like he plays well here every year. He has played well. He's peaked with a second place finish. He's been the 36th hole leader and finished 12th. He's got two top 30s, so you know that he can play well 
uh, when he's in form. He is in form. He, his ball striking has been pretty good for basically a month now. And he's actually like 96th, I think it is, in the, in the DP World Tour rankings, which is a lot higher than I thought. Like, when I think about those guys that are around the 100-odd mark, like, I'm surprised he's higher than Paratore. I'm surprised he's higher than Van Drill. I'm surprised he's higher than, you know, others like that. So he's obviously been doing a little bit more than we thought. He then is in the position where he can actually just boost himself up into a better position, get himself into those, potentially get himself into that kind of um, DP World Tour Championship, right? And, and that's massive. So I think for me, Mark Warren, a little bit like um, Tom Lewis, he's, he's kind of got to reinvent himself, but he's different stage of his life, 10 years on. But like, I think he's got another chance to kind of have another real go at it. I think of people like Richie Ramsey. I think of people like Oliver Wilson who've gone and, and won this season. That's what Mark Warren can do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I echo that. It's just something where of, of trending form, uh, of popping and, you know, assistance isn't the same as what it used to be. But, uh, you know, just enough that you think that, of course, success and um, a good number, right? Like, it's just kind of – and he's like somebody – not that I would necessarily say, like, trust in contention, but, like, finds first pages of leaderboards out of nowhere multiple times a year, right? And, like, those guys just – you know, always kind of peak in interest when you're looking at triple digits uh, on that. And I think, I think you, you say you, you pull back a little bit because you're like me. You don't want to say you trust him after what I've said in the sense that he made a career of going close and not kind of seeing the line and probably should have won more. But he's also someone that has done it three times. And this is full of a field that people that haven't done it at all. Right. So I think in that sense, he's got things to lean on. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. I was close. Uh, and I almost wanted to get back on Sammy Dalamaki. They're, they're giving good numbers, man, on, on Sammy. And he can hit it and he can putt it. Not going to get there still um, in this range. I'm going to go deep, Tom. I'm going to close this out with a long shot here. Uh, I believe the longest odds out on our guy, yep, are 422-1. Let's see, top 20 numbers. We got a, a 10 to 1 out there, which is kind of more my fancy. But if I think of golfers who, again, hit it and play the game in the way that I, I kind of imagine myself wanting to align with this golfer is there from a distance perspective. Short game rarely kind of aligns with what, what I would like. But did you notice who, who kind of showed themselves in the leaderboard? It was an old friend of mine last week. You know, you might not get this right. Now he was, I think he had the round of the day, the second best round of the day on Friday. He shot 64 on Friday last week. And he's got a 21st place finish here, four rounds in the 70s. And that was his better year. He's kind of, you know, kind of fallen off in that sense. But I think that kind of is, shows on what he's like. Is it Hugo Leon? It's Hugo Leon, Tom. Hugo, I mean, he shot a 76 on Sunday. And he was inside the top 20 last week going into that final round. Uh, you know, you, you see that out of Hugo. You see what he did. I mean, if you go... You can go by that. I think he was in, let's see, I think it was third. Yeah, third after 36 holes. Opens with a 70 and then goes 64-70 to put himself in 16 after 54. Terrible Sunday. Absolutely pitiful Sunday. Yeah. In running, though, if you kind of piece through some of those data, he was solid off the tee. He was really good approach, especially on that, that Friday. Like that Friday, I think he led the field or was maybe second in the field um, on that Friday. And... Again, maybe this is Homer by me to just like go into somebody that I, I think highly of, but 
Pico, Pico, Hugo Leone is somebody I'd be backing at this course every single time. And uh, at 420 to one, like I loved what I saw last week. I'm ready to, to get hurt again by Hugo. So, so he was top 10 on the first day in strokes game approach, led the field on day two, and then he was 61st on day three and dead last basically on, on some yeah. of his irons. So he lost his irons over the weekend. What do you take from that? Um, I would take the positives at 401 because there's not many golfers at 401 that led the field and approach at any point in any recent rounds, right? Um, he was yep. solid off the tee, gained strokes every round last week. Um, is he a big distance guy? Um, so he used to be. I mean, so if I looked at his, his like, he gained strongly over the field of Valderrama. He was positive to the field last week at Mallorca. Five of his last six events, he's been positive to the field on um, distance. If I go back to like when he, so when did he play great here? That would have been 2019. Yeah. Um, so he was that year, every event he played, he was gaining distance on the field. I mean, that year was great from him, right? I think he had probably, I think he had four top 10 finishes that week. Uh, and then the 17th here. So like a lot more of form of it, but like another one that I look to, and I think of in this manner is like the Czech masters. Czech masters was always an event where distance. And I mean, Peter's, you know, has, has eaten up the Czech masters. Lewis has played well, played well at Czech masters too, yeah. I believe. Right. And it was like one of those events where it was just distance and you got to score with, you got a ball strike. And that's where Hugo um, was, was really um, there. So I think overall um, for me, that that's kind of just a strong look. Uh, so definitely can, can go with confidence uh, at 420 to one. Right. So I, w- I wonder what, because st- on, on day two in the in-running stats on driving distance, basically everybody was Rory McIlroy So I wonder if they might be a little bit wrong. Because uh, it says yeah. that he, he he said that he shot 200, he averaged 258 yards on day one. Then he averaged 356 on day two, 291 on day three, 200, uh, 311 on day four. So yeah. I feel like every, every other round is is potentially uh, possible. I feel like the wind could have maybe the wind it was just up on. On on you know Friday and it helped I don't know um, but yeah I think I think he's a great guy to be on perfect um, with that we'll we'll uh, kind of round ourselves out here and if we can review our betting cards Tom you from the top yeah so Eddie Pepperell for me really love that kind of thirty five to one number that you mentioned um, fifty to one on Tom Lewis I will go with Nicholas Norgard Muller um, I think was he was he fifty to one as well. Let's see, Norgard Muller, 50 to 1. Yes. Yeah. And then Mark Warren, 150 to 1 for me. Perfect. So for me, uh, Joaquin Lagrian at 40 to 1. Um, Gavin Green, shortest he is, he's here, longest he is, is 45 to 1. Um, here, Tapio Pokenen, 55 to 1. Lucas Nemix, 80 to 1. Um, and then Mike Lorenzo Vera, 150 to one. Mark Warren, right there with you, 150 to one as well. And then Hugo Leon, uh, there might even be a 500 out here on Hugo. So we'll see if we can find at least a 400 plus on Hugo. We'll top 20 that with him too. Um, programming note: next week there's not a DP World Tour event. Week off, and then we're back in South Africa, and then we finish the year out. Um, finish the last, I guess, event of this not calendar year, but this season, the DP World Tour. Yeah. Get off again. Um, after that. So thank you, Tom. Always as well. Let's set a 150 to 1 winner together. I would it's love that. Easy, right? Let's, let's just do that. Yes. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you guys as always, and we'll catch you in two weeks. Thanks again.